this morning. Um, and if you're listening online, grateful that you're uh, taking some time just to put the word into your, into your heart. Uh, and, and we believe that it's, as you sow it into your heart, it's like seeds. It grows and it bears fruit in our lives if we remain in it. Uh, in the last number of weeks, we've been talking, uh, uh, we did a series about, uh, about rights and how we fight for our rights. And we want to be right and, and how that, that uh, these, these rights that we think are so, so important often unnecessarily break down the relationships in our lives. And kind of out of that, we began talking about this idea of that we've been forgiven, completely forgiven in Christ. A couple of weeks ago, we started talking about that. And, you know, as we say that all of our sin, the stuff that we did, you know, when we were kids, forgiven. The stuff that we did last week, forgiven. The sin that, you, you know, fighting with your wife on the way to church this morning, Forgiven. You know, and some, we talked about that last week, that it doesn't elicit this amazing, like, cheers. None of you were like, yeah, I'm totally forgiven. That's awesome. If you only knew what I did, I mean, I'm just so glad to be forgiven. And we talked about that last week and this idea that so often, you know, we think and understand that we've been forgiven for something, but we fully expect ourselves to redo that sin again. You know, we, we see ourselves in this cycle. That there's that one thing that keeps taking us around and around. We're like, oh, you know, that, that part that, that yes, I'm forgiven and I, you know, I repent, but I feel like I keep going through the same thing. And we talked about last week that the truth is that in Jesus Christ, sin is not your master. Sin is no longer your master. And I hope that this week as you face that, that struggle that maybe you uh, continuously have, that you are able to face that this week and go, no, you know, you're not my master anymore. I, I don't need to take that drink. I don't need to, to uh, continue in that gospel. I don't need to check out that website. I don't need any of that. No, you're not my master. I have a new master. You don't have authority over my life. And to live in the victory of freedom is what we talked about last week. And, and for many, many I realized that, you know, that, that over this last week, that that's something that is not well understood. This idea of I'm already completely forgiven and I can just live in that forgiveness. I don't have to try and earn that every single time that I, that I mess up. And so I want to start a new series today, kind of ties in with the old one, but we're going to do a few weeks on this. I want to talk about this idea of identity. Identity. Identity is the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. That's its identity, the, the distinguishing character or, or personality of an individual. It's that thing that defines you. It's, that, it's the who am I? Who, who am I really? Uh, there's lots in the media lately about this topic of identity, lots of identity issues being discussed. Um, you know, our, our friends to the south have been denying people entrance into their country based on their identity. You know, if they didn't have a, a, the correct passport country of origin, they're not allowed in. Uh, this week as well, we had some Canadians who wanted to go on holidays down to South America. They got to the place where they were to board their flight, and their valid passports were not accepted because they needed more ID, more identity, more identification for them. You know, uh, in the news, you see the bathroom signs are changing. You know, that there's people who are struggling with gender identity. And so, needing a place to go. You know, they're, they're creating signs. And then all of a sudden, now they're taking those signs down. They're like, well, we don't know what to do. Struggling with identity. There's a woman named Laura Hunter. She's uh, the current Ms. World. And her identity was actually stolen. And they created this website to uh, use her image and her name to promote Donald Trump. And so then she all of a sudden was Googling her name and finds her website that she didn't start and realizes that there's like 90,000 people who are liking and following and, you know, uh, pro-Trump as a result of some of the stuff that she's saying. And her identity was stolen. And so she, you know, her, her Facebook identity. And so she was pretty upset and getting lawyers involved. And, and why do we care? 
if our identity is being compromised, that idea of who we are and what we stand for, because it's valuable to us. Our identity matters to us. Uh, I don't know, have you ever had the unfortunate experience of mistaken identity? You know, where maybe it's like when you're a kid, you know, you're in the, in the store with your parents, and all of a sudden you're in the store without your parents, and you get, you're like, where's mom? And so you run, you know, and you look all over the store, and then you finally find her, and you run up, and you hug her leg, and you say, oh, mom, I'm so glad I found you. And then you open your eyes, and mom's on the other end of the aisle. No, never happened to you? That, that was my brother. Um, <laughs> you know, or, or you're, uh, you know, you're, you're texting someone, and uh, you're texting them, and then all of a sudden you realize it's not them. I found this text uh, sent to me this week. This guy was texting his wife. He's like, which part of the store are you in? And the person responded, lingerie. And so he's getting excited. He's like, well, I'm up to the front, you know, I'm checking things out. You're too small. I can't see you. It says, LOL, I'm taller than you think. And before this person was getting too excited about that his wife was in the lingerie section, Pastor Wesley said, oh, it's me, it's Wes. You know, this was uh, one of the guys from his church who mistakenly texted him instead of his wife. You know, what are the things? I know, next time you mistakenly text me, you'll wonder where, never mind. <laughs> These ideas, this brain needs to be reined in sometimes. But this, uh, you know, it happens all the time. It's like uh, last week, was, uh, it's weird stuff too. It's not even like it's directly connected. Last, uh, a couple weeks ago, I went to the hospital, visit somebody in, uh, in Hamilton. I'm on the elevator. I walk in the elevator. There's like seven people in there. And this lady looks at me. And so she's like, do I know you? I'm like, you don't talk to people in elevators. Just saying, all right? Everybody look up at the numbers. Don't talk to anybody. I'm like, I don't know anybody in there. And she looks at me like, you, like, we've met before. You remind me. And she's like, no, you remind me of someone famous. And I'm like, oh, please don't say Ben Stiller. And she's like, yes! And everybody else is, I'm like, it's not. There's not this resentment. And I'm like, oh, I just don't want to even be associated with that guy. And yet, it's, it's weird how these things happen. My Uncle George was here last night. A couple years ago, he got arrested at the border, and they're like, George Bauma, you've got this string of criminal offenses against you. And he's like, Hi, I haven't done any of these things. They're like, no, your name's George Bauma? Yes, George Bauma. Well, he's about this tall, blonde, flowing long blonde hair, uh, sheepish grin, and, and whatever. Then they went through and they realized that the George Bauma who committed the crimes was about this tall and black and, you know, had nothing, no other similarities to this guy. And they're like, oh, I guess you can't be him. And they let him go associated with someone else's misdemeanors. In 1930, John Dillinger was one of America's most wanted criminals. He had robbed a number of banks. He had been captured a number of times. And he escaped a number of times. And so he was on the loose. And they had been trying to catch this guy in in, in and around Indiana, trying to catch him and had no luck uh, arresting this guy. And so finally the authority said to, uh, to the to the uh, other, like the police, that if you see him, shoot him. Because we can't keep catching him, putting him in jail. He's robbed enough banks, just shoot him if you see him. Well, that was pretty unfortunate for Don, John Dillinger, but it was more unfortunate for this man, Ralph Alsman, who lived 50 miles away and who was almost identical uh, in, in his appearance. He had the same mole by his eye. He had the same uh, scar on his left wrist. And the, every time that he went out and was out and about, he, was, uh, he got arrested the first time, and they're like, you know, you're John Dillinger. He's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. The only way he could prove it was one of his fingers was a little bit shorter, and so the fingerprints never matched, and, and they let him go. But this poor guy, Ralph, got arrested 17 times. He was shot at or had a gun pointed at him 11 times, and he lived in terror uh, just to, to go out anywhere simply because of the mistaken identity of this man named John Dillinger. 
A few years later, John Dillinger was actually shot, and Ralph Alsman was able to live his life as Ralph Alsman. But the, the thing is, when someone else thinks you're someone else, that's an issue. But there's a bigger issue than that. The bigger issue that I want to talk about this morning is when you think you're someone else. When you don't know who you really are inside. I don't know if, it, if you ever have your parents when your kid ask you, who do you think you are? <laughs> Maybe as a teacher or whatever, right? You're like, you get caught doing something stupid and they're like, who do you think you are? I want to ask you the same question this morning, just not in that tone. I just want to ask you, you know, who do you think that you are? Because who you think you are and who you really are can be two totally different things. Today, I want to look at the truth of who you really are, but that doesn't always matter. Who you think you are is what, is what uh, we want to deal with today. There's two songs I want to leave you with today. The first one, uh, and, and then one at the end. The first one is by a guy named Pete Townsend. He's from the, a band called The Who. Anybody ever heard that? Of The Who? Yeah? Maybe you know the song. It goes, who are you? I know. Sound like a bunch of owls. Uh, it, he, he sings this song, and at the end, he's like, I really want to know. Who are you? Who are you? I really want to know. I'd say that that's like the soundtrack for many people, the internal soundtrack for many people in our, in our world. It's just that, that question on the inside, who, who am I really? My brother, uh, you know, he's one of the ones who a uh, number of years ago decided he was going to go overseas because he, he wanted to find himself. And maybe you've heard that before. People are like, yeah, I just got to find out, you know, I got to find out who I am. I, you know, they, they've been in relationships for a long time and they break them because they're like, I just don't know who I am. I got to go find myself. Well, as he was over there, his wallet was stolen. So we always kid him because he barely was able to get home. He couldn't prove to anybody who he was. And so we're like, yeah, you went to find yourself and lost your identity in the process, right? Like it's this this thing where we find so often that people are living that out all the time, trying to find themselves but just have this loss of identity. And they say, you know, that a lot of the generation of, of our youth are going through this identity crisis right now. You know, who am I really? Like even to the point of am I a boy or am I a girl? These questions that they wrestle with. See, the, the thing is that we were designed to find our identity from outside sources. We've been hardwired that way. God created us that way. But he created us that way that we would find our identity in what he says about us. So when he created Adam and Eve, he said, these people... Are, he says, what I've created is really good. And if you look up those words, really good, it's this idea of being, they're pleasant, they're agreeable, they're excellent, they're valuable, and they're valued. If I was to ask you this morning, describe yourself, would you use those words? I'm excellent. You know, I'm, I'm valuable. I'm valued. There's something about me, or is there always that bit of, not quite sure, not quite sure, love, Talk about how much you love and respect Reuben. Huh. Somebody's altering my notes. I would, but in front of all these people, Rubes, I don't know. Somebody has an identity crisis. You know, he needs someone to tell him, you're loved, you're loved. But it's that, it really is that idea, right, of we're not sure. That's perfect timing, actually, because identity crisis is this idea of being unsure, unsure or uncertain confused a little bit about who you really are. And I, I would suggest that something was broken a long time ago in that area. With Adam and Eve and all the way through, and for each and every one of us, it seems like we've been trying to fix that ever since, trying to find these things. We've got so many things out there to help with your self-esteem because it's something that just feels broken on the inside. Our identity, how we define ourselves. There's, uh, 
You know, if you look into uh, secular views on how, how we determine our identity, they say that there's a primary identifier that we identify with, and then there's a whole bunch of secondary ones that we identify with as well, and they include things like this, our nationality. You know, I'm Canadian. That's how I identify. Our culture, our race, our gender, accomplishments, values, beliefs, religion, maybe your looks, your job, your occupation, or your past. Number of these things that identify who we are. And so my question this morning is, what's your primary identifier? I asked Beth this last, last uh, yesterday or the night before, saying, you know, Beth, if, how would you identify yourself? And she's like, uh, that's a weird question. I'm like, well, if you didn't have any ID and you had to tell somebody, this is who I am. She's like, oh, I guess I would start with um, the wife of Mark Vanderweer. I'm like, sweet. She identifies with me, right? Like her whole being is uh, surrounded around Never mind. But then she said, you know, I'm the daughter of Dick and Liz DeVries. And she begins going down some of the relational connections of, of who she is. Canadian, lives in Townsend and some different, different thoughts. But what's your primary identifier? And so, you know, once you find out this is the, the thing that you primarily identify with is something you will fight for. So when you're talking about all these rights and different things, we fight for what we primarily identify with. And then, you know, all of a sudden we want to protect that. But then we also fight against people making that into a stereotype. Because, you know, if you're Dutch and you're like, I'm proud to be Dutch. It's part of my, my identity is that I'm Dutch. And then, then, then other people will start to stereotype that. And you're like, oh, you know, and then, then we fight against, well, I'm not like that. You know, or like the blondes, you know, the, 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 maybe your identity is in that year, like the best looking woman in every room you go into. You know, you walk around, you take a look, and if there's somebody better looking, you're leaving. You know, it's... You, I know, some of you are like laughing, like that must be someone else. But yeah, it's, it's sometimes that idea, right, where, where uh, there's guys, you know, you work out because you got to be the, the most fit person. That's your identity. If anybody saw you with a little bit of paunch or if they saw you in the morning, you know, before you had left your house and spent your 30 minutes in front of the mirror, you know, it would affect you. I know, it used to be me. <laughs> you can tell from this physique, you know. Quick story, when I was in Bible school, weird story, but 17, this, this was something in my life where I identified with, you know, the, the, the shape of my hair, as weird as that would sound. But I, every morning, I know, they're looking like, what? How is that possible? But every morning I would wake up and I'd go to the mirror and I would grab three hair products. First I would start with mousse, then I would start with gel, and just to make sure that those things didn't move, I made three perfect little hooks on my forehead, and then I hairsprayed the crap out of it so it was like a rock. They would call me Rockhead for that reason. Uh, and I was 17. And so, you know, it like whoop-dee-ding, you know, you like to do your hair. But then I went to, uh, I went to Bible school, and I'm sitting there in the lunch room at Bible school, and one guy runs up behind me, and he rubs my head really fast. And all of a sudden, my hair goes everywhere. 17 years old, tears begin to run down my face. I get in my car. Yeah, I know. Some of you are like, what the? Who is this guy? Don't worry. I've been changed since. But I ran home. I went to my car and I drove home and I told my parents, I'm never going back to school again. Identity issues. So if it can work for me, it can work for you because I know none of you are screwed up as I am. So, you know, but these, these things of what we tie our identity to, it matters. You know, the, the, the stereotypes will fight against, you know, all blondes are dumb. And the blondes are like, no, we're not. You know, or the, all blondes have more fun. Okay, yes, we do. You know, the, 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 the stereotypes of, you know, all Christians are hypocrites. We get our back up. I, I, I don't want to be in that. You know, or the, the other side, all Muslims are extremists. You know, or the, or the fact like all Dutch people are cheap. 
And you're like, I don't know. It's true. They do say, you know, well, why do you think Dutch people have such big noses? Air is free. Yes. They'll get as much as they can. <laughs> so, so we, we, we never mind. My, my question for you this morning is, what do you primarily identify with? And we're not going to cover everything this morning, but to just start, why would we talk about this in church? Now some of you are like really wondering, why? This is funny, but what's the point, you know? The, the point is this, the New Testament talks a ton about our identity. It never uses the word, but it talks about this idea of what we primarily identify with and how it affects our lives. You see, you see many of them um, through, the, through the New Testament, there was this group called the Pharisees. They were this religious people. They were Jewish. They, and the Jewish people, their biggest thing was they thought they were right with God because they were God's people. And he had told them that. And so they, they would identify with this. But then when Jesus came, he began to say some different things. And the Pharisees, they found John the Baptist one day. He was baptizing people for the repentance of sins. And he said, you know what? Flee the wrath that's to come. Come and repent. Turn away from your sin. And so the Pharisees came, and all of a sudden he looks at them, and he's like, you know, are you guys getting baptized? And like, no, no, we're just here to watch. We're good. And he's like, why do you think you're good? And then he said, well, we're the children of Abraham. We're, we're fine. We're good with God. And he says to them, he says, don't just count on the fact that you identify with Abraham, that, that your identity is that you're a child of Abraham. Don't just count on that to save you. He says it doesn't count if you don't live like Abraham lived. If you don't have the same faith, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't count that you just say, I identify here. Later on, those same Pharisees uh, and others would come around Jesus, and Jesus was saying to, to the people, he says, you'll know, you know the, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you. See, you've heard the verse. Here's who he's talking to, a crowd. Well, there's this whole group of Pharisees around. They're like, what do you mean we got to know the truth, and the truth's going to make us free? We're children of Abraham. We're not slaves. We identify with Abraham. We don't identify with slaves. And so Jesus says to them, he says, anybody who sins is a slave to sin. And everybody who's ever sinned realizes that sometimes you say yes to sin, yes to sin, yes to sin. And then pretty soon it's just telling you and you don't really have any choice anymore. You get stuck in that trap. You can't undo. You can't fix. You can't unbreak. And she says, you're a slave to sin. And like, no, no, no. We identify. We're Jewish. We had a little little procedure when we were kids. We're good. We're good with God, you know? That's all it takes. And he says, don't identify with your Jewishness and think that that's good, that's good enough. It's the son identifying with Christ that sets you free. And that message was, was what went out to the whole world. When Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, his followers were like, yeah, no one else is that. He's God for sure. So whatever he said, he meant, and they went out and they said, you know, whoever the sun sets free of sin, they're free indeed. They're the ones who are really free. Don't get stuck following the law. Well, Paul and a number of others went around the, the known world. They began sharing this with Gentiles, people who weren't Jewish. And all of those people began to accept Christ and follow Christ. And, and then this group of Pharisees, the ones who were by John saying, no, 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 it's got to be about Jewishness. The ones who were with Jesus, no, no, it's got to be about circumcision. They would follow these guys everywhere. So somebody would go and start a brand new church, and they're all excited, and then they, he'd move on to start a church over here. Well, while he was doing this, these guys were over here telling him, hey, you got to be circumcised. you got to become Jewish. you got to follow the dietary laws. No more bacon for you guys, right? Like that was this idea I know, and it's like, oh, terrible. Uh, no bacon. But he says, you got to be Jewish. you got to identify with Jewish. And, and Paul, he began to tell them passionately saying, listen, 
Don't listen to these people. All you ever need to identify with is Christ. That needs to become your primary identifier. And I'm so glad that, you know, as Paul got arrested, it didn't change him. He began to write letters saying, hey, I might not be able to tell you in person. I'm going to write you letters. And those are the letters that we have today that say the same thing over and over and over. And it says things like this. If you have your Bible, go to Galatians chapter 3. We are a church that believes the Bible is real. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. It's near the back, but it says this. He says, for you are all sons of God through faith. See, the Galatians had thought, oh man, we got to become Jewish. That's not going to be a fun procedure or pleasant uh, uh, undertaking. And so he said, listen, before you do anything, he says, you're sons of God through faith. What? We read the yellow. I want you to hear you say it. In Christ Jesus, he says, we are sons of God. We're children of God. In Christ Jesus. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, he says, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. He says, there's no nationality thing in Christ. He says, there's neither slave nor free. There's no occupation or value difference in Christ. There's neither male nor female. There's no gender uh, differentiation in Christ. He says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And you look at that and you read that. It seems a little strange. You know, no nationality. Wait a second. We got a whole bunch of Canadians and Dutch and whatever else in this place. No, no nationality. No, no occupational value. You know, there's no difference in the value of people. No male or female. But if I look around, I see men and I see women. But what does that mean? He says, based, if your primary identifier is Christ, then none of those things ever need to divide you. That there's no division ever necessary based on any of these other things. And Paul wrote to them, he said, you know, the primary identifier of our lives affects every other part of our lives. And so if that one's not, if that one's not in Christ, where it was designed to be, everything else is going to get broken. If, if our identity is in our sexuality, everything else around us is going to get broken. If our identity is in an addiction, Everything else around us is going to get broken. If our identity is in my self-esteem, I'm going to draw that. I'm going to draw everything from you, from other people, and everything's going to get broken. And Paul said this. He said in Galatians chapter 2.20, this is one of the 160 times he talks about this in the New Testament letters. It's pretty important to talk about it that, that many times. He says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. And he says, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to illustrate that a little bit for you this morning. Some of you wondered why we have a ball pit up here. It was handy this morning, but uh, didn't want you guys to feel jealous. You know, the kids get a ball pit and have so much fun at church. Figured I could have some too. So, you know, the, most Christians have this understanding of only half of this verse. I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And your experience of faith has been this. As a child, I accepted Jesus into my heart. And so if we picture this as being Christ, to represent Christ, we take a little bit and we're like, I'm good. Put in my spirit right here. I'm good. You know, and then you go off into your own life and you're like, I'm still living my life, but I'm a Christian. I know you can't see it. It's in there. You know, I, I said a prayer as a kid. Maybe I didn't even say a prayer. My, my, my parents baptized me as a child. I got a little bit of faith in there somewhere. You know, I accepted Jesus into my heart, and I, I just took Jesus wherever I was going. And he says that's part of it. There's definitely a part of how Christ in you affects some things. 
But he also said there's more to it. It's not just the fact that Christ is in you. He says that you are in Christ, that I am in Christ, that my life isn't all mine anymore. I'm fully 100% in Christ. My identity isn't about Mark and where I live and what I do all out there with a little bit of Jesus along the way. My life is defined by who I am, by who he says I am in Christ. And it matters about a ton of different things. This ball pit's full of different balls, and we're going to talk about some of the other ones over the weeks to come. See, but my fingerprint might remain the same. It's never going to change. But you know what? Our personal identity changes. And that's good news for, for us. And it was good news for Paul. He said, you know, that, that I'm no longer who I was before. Like, well, how do we identify some of this stuff? For instance, it's like a cucumber. A cucumber stays in the pickling juice long enough, it becomes a pickle. It's not a cucumber anymore. Why? Because something changed. When Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, the life which I now live, that I'm walking around living, I don't live for me anymore. I live by trusting in Christ, in Christ alone. He says, you know, the same idea of like a cucumber becomes a pickle. It's not the same. Same as a caterpillar. It stays long enough in the cocoon, it becomes something else, a butterfly. It's not the same thing as it once was. And for, for many of you, the life that, that Christ has affected hasn't changed a thing. It's like, I'm still the same person. I identify with all the things I used to identify with. I just, I just have an add-on. I, I go to church sometimes on, on the weekend. And it's where we identify. And he says, you know what? It's bigger than that. See, Paul could have identified with his past. He could have. He could have identified with his past saying, you know what? I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. I murdered innocent people. I was there when Stephen was stoned, and I'm guilty. And he could have walked around for the rest of his life realizing, God, thank you for forgiving me, but feeling this overwhelming guilt for all the stuff that he had done in his past. But he didn't. But Paul also said, you know what, I could have been really proud of everything I did in my past. And he talks about it to the Philippians. He wrote to the Galatian church. He writes to the Philippians. He says this, Philippians chapter 3. Verse 2 to 9, he says, Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say that you must be circumcised to be saved. Why? Because those people had gone there as well and said, you need to identify as Jewish. Well, here's what Paul said. He says in verse um, 3, We who worship by the Spirit of God, we're the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence or we don't identify with our human effort. He says, though I could have confidence in my own effort, I could identify with who I've been in the past, and I could be proud of that. He says, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And then he begins to tell them, this is who, this is who I used to think that I was or who I am. He says this. He says this about himself. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. My nationality, my, my rightness with God. I was a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a real Hebrew if there ever was one. He's telling these people, he's saying, you know what? The people who keep telling you, you got to identify with something different, being Jewish. He says, I was Jewish and it wasn't enough. He says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, as for being right with God, I obeyed the law without fault. That's a pretty strong claim to make. You know, that I obeyed the law without fault. And he says, I once thought that those things were valuable. For some of you thinking, you know, you were a really good boy. I kept the Ten Commandments. I did more good than bad. You know, I was, I, I, I'm, I'm identifying with, you know, my rightness with God. I'm identifying it with that. 
He says, you know what? I once thought all those things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else. I counted all as garbage so that I might gain Christ and become one with him. He says, I no longer count on my own righteousness. I no longer identify as I'm the one right with God because of me. He says, through obeying the law, he says, rather, I become righteous through what? Faith in Christ. Trusting in Christ. That's the only reason why I'm right with God. And it says, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. God's way of being right with him is simply trusting in Christ. 100% in Christ. In 2 Corinthians, he writes to them too. And he says, therefore, if anyone is, what? If anyone. Is there anyone here this morning? If there's anyone who is in Christ, you know what he says about them? He says, you're a new creation. All that old stuff's gone. You're a new person, something completely different. Paul would have said, I'm a new man. I'm not who I once was. As long as I am in Christ, I am something completely different. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, a few verses later, he says this. How did it happen in my life? He says, he, God, made Jesus, who knew no sin, he made him sin for me, that I might become what? Right with God in him. How many of you, that's the, the truth for your life, that you identify, you know, God and I are good because I'm in Christ. It's 100% what Jesus did. It has nothing to do with anything else in my life. Or do we identify with different things? You know, I'm right with God because I'm in Christ. This week I was talking with a bunch of pastors. We're sitting around a table. We're talking about heaven. We start, we're talking about this book called The Shack. And talking about whether, you know, your relatives in heaven can look down and see you. And are they watching you? And it's, we began talking about that. One group was like, oh, yeah, yeah, they can. And the other side's like, that's not in the Bible. I'm like, it's almost in the Bible. And like, well, I don't know where it is. And like, well, it doesn't say it doesn't. It doesn't say it can't. So this sort of this banter, which normally is really gentle, but starting to get a little hostile uh, around the table. Uh, and there were six different denominations of us sitting there. And, and as we, uh, we were chatting, uh, all of a sudden, you know, one of them decided going to just like end all of the, the debate and said, you know what? We're not going to know till we get there. Our biggest concern is just trying to figure out how we're going to get there. I'm like, pardon? I looked across the table. And I was like, do, do, you, do you know if you're going to go to heaven or not? And his eyes just went like, like deer in a headlight. Uh, and I was like, do, do you know whether you're going to heaven or not? Like that should not be a question for any believer, let alone a pastor. I'm like, that's scary to me, that pastors would be blind, leading the blind, having no idea if they're going to heaven, having all of these people listen to them, having no idea whether they're ever right with God. Scary, scary stuff to me. I was like, that, if, if pastors don't know it, how much more might people who are, who are Christians not know it? I said, you know, do you know that Jesus came and died for your sins? That he said he came to save you from your sins. And, and all of a sudden they're like, uh-oh. One of the preachers is preaching right around the table. And they all start looking. And I'm like, I'm not taking up an offering. We're good. But I just want to share with them. I was like, I said, you know that that's why Jesus came? And it was like foreign. And I thought, how is this possible? How is this possible? Paul gave his life for these thoughts, gave his, preached passionately about this, so that people would know that all you need is to be in Christ. And I don't want to live, I don't want you, any person in this place, to live without knowing. 
See, if you identify that you're good with God because you were baptized as a baby, whether that was Presbyterian, Catholic, Anglican, Reformed, he's saying that's not what it's about. It doesn't matter what you were baptized into over here. Are you in Christ? Are you trusting in what what your parents did for you as a child? Or do you trust 100% in what Christ did for you? You know, if you identify with, well, I was a pretty good person. You know, I tried to do some more good than bad. He's like, that doesn't make you right with God unless you identify with what Christ did. You can never be good, but it was what Christ did for you. Simply trusting in him. For some who are like, you know, I kind of just like accepted Jesus. I said a prayer and now I kind of just live my own life. See, that's not what it's all about. He's like, you know, stop just dipping your toe in. Go all in. Go all in. That everything about you revolves around who you are in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. These are the last verses this morning. In him, he says, in him, in him we have redemption. Like, what's that word mean? He describes it. The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins is in him alone. He says a few verses later, God saved you by his grace when you believed, when you trusted, when you put your whole faith in God. I'm not even going to try and be a better person. I'm not going to try and fix my life. I'm just going to trust in you. And he says that that salvation, it's the gift of God. It's not of your works. You can never boast about where you are at with God because it's not about you. It's about him. And do you know what that means? That when you get it wrong, it's not about you failing. It's about in Christ. God, you took my failures. You took my weakness. You took all of the spots that I didn't get right. And I just trust that your life was big enough, that your life was good enough for me. Paul preached about it, wrote letters about it, gave his life dying for that truth. And you know why he preaches so passionately? You know why I feel like preaching this so passionately over the next number of weeks is this. You got an enemy preaching in your brain every single day telling you you're a sinner, you're rotten, you're no good, you don't measure up, you've got no value, and it's all a lie. Sorry for yelling. Who you really are is who you are in Christ as a follower of Jesus. But it doesn't matter if you don't think that way. Because you will live your life based on who you think you are. You'll live completely defeated, without a care for anybody else in the world, trying to fill the self-esteem with every possible thing when he said, I did it all for you. You can find everything you're looking for in Christ. And we're going to talk about all of those things over the next couple of weeks. So here's my question for you. Who are you really? Who, do you th- who, who are you? Do, are you who he says you are? Or do you think you're someone else? Are you who you think you are? Does your relationship with Christ affect any other part of your life? Is it your primary identifier or is it something that's an add-on? Do you know some of the things that define this person? A person in Christ realizes they're completely forgiven and they're able to forgive others. Having trouble forgiving people? It might come down to your identity. You just don't know how much you've been forgiven. A person who's in Christ is unconditionally loved and is able to love people. I can't love ISIS. I can't love the Muslims. I can't even love the Anglicans. A person who's loved and in Christ can love. A person who's free in Christ can say to sin, you are not my master anymore. But if you don't know 
that you're in Christ. And if you don't know that that's who you really are, you'll live with the lies of all of those things being bound, that you've got to hold on to unforgiveness, that you've got to hate and fight because you've got to protect you, or that, you know, sin is always just going to control your life and you're stuck in that cycle. It's not true. It's not true. Who are you? Who do you think you are? And I want to leave you with this last song. Last song was written by another guy. Not Townsend, but Townend. Stuart Townend wrote these words of this song. You may have heard them. Let me just read them to you as we close. Because my hope in this whole series is that each and every one of us would primarily identify in Christ alone. He said, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He's my light. He's my strength. He's my song. He's my cornerstone. He's the solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when my fears are stilled and when all my striving ceases. He's my comforter. He's my all in all. And here in the love of Christ, in Christ, I stand. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God in a helpless babe, It's the gift of love, the gift of righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Until on a cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, it was satisfied. Because every sin represented in this place on him was laid. And here in the death of Christ, I stand. Here in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, but bursting forth. In a glorious day, and up from the grave, he rose again. And as he stands in victory, as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. As he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. Because I'm his. He's mine. I've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. And I love this last one. There's no guilt in life. Can you say that about you? There's no guilt in life. There's no fear in death. That's the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll live. Is this your primary identifier? That everything else in my life revolves around the fact that I am his and he is mine. I trust my life completely that I am in Christ. In Christ alone. You can this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of your words. (laughs) More than just words on a page, they're just life altering for us. Jesus, thank you for your incredible sacrifice that you made for us. And all of the blessings and benefits that come as a result of that. Help us understand what it means to live our lives in you and to trust in you. God, for those who are wrestling with this, I I just want to pray for them today that as they leave this place, they don't leave you here. That Holy Spirit, you continue to work in their lives and speak to their heart and draw them into that truth and freedom of relationship with you. Father, we apologize for trusting in our own strength and trusting in our own works and trying to do things on our own. Help us just again to just trust, to rest, to rely just in you. May that so change our lives that people see the greatness and glory of you in and through our lives. As a result, I pray they'd see you and find the incredible salvation that is in your name. Lord, we love you and it's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen.